So what we did was we spent then the next kind of three months focusing on retention. How are we increasing our day 30 retention? And by the end of that, we got up to 52% day 30 retention, which is very high. And then, <laughs> and then we moved to activation. How do you rock the cold start? Hello and welcome to Growth Masterminds. My name is John Katsir. Starting a new series in Growth Masterminds and the Singular blog, it's zero to hero. It's a startup story. It's about getting early growth, not just your first hundred or first thousand, but maybe your first million, maybe your first hundred thousand, first 500,000 users. There are huge challenges, we all know, for real big apps and real big brands to continue to grow, right? But they're different. They have some resources. They have some brand. They've got users or players or customers or whatever they've got. Starting from zero or very small is a different challenge. I actually think there's a lot to learn on both sides of that or the other side. But this series will focus on early stage growth. To kick it off, we've got an all-star. She's literally an app marketer of the year. Also, biz strategy consultant of the year. She's worked in tons of growth roles. Now runs her own growth agency called Aperture. She's helping apps grow, helping mobile businesses work. And I noticed speaking all over the world. Her name is Hannah Parvez. Welcome to Growth Masterminds, Hannah. Thank you so much, John. It's really nice to be here. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. So thank you. For awesome. I love it when people say that. It's often true too, but it's late. It's like London. It's Thursday night and you're hanging around in the office of chat. I really do appreciate it. I wanted to start with a little bit of personal stuff because you're one of the UA consultants. You run your own agency. That's an exclusive group, right? You, we, we talked earlier, you got Thomas Petit, you've got Felix Braberg, you got, you know, five, six, 10, 20 others. There's not hundreds or thousands of people like you. Um, what's your life like? <laughs> well, actually, last year, my life took a big change. I have been living in London for the last 11 years, since 2011. Uh, and last year, actually, I ended up going completely remote for the year. So my life has been a, bit, a little bit atypical over the last year. So I went to a lot of different places. I've met a lot of different kind of interesting people from interesting companies. I was kind of speaking in many different places and countries and cities all over kind of America and Europe. Um, and at the moment, I've kind of come back to London uh, just for a couple of months just to, I mean, I, it, the idea was to kind of capture some of the summer, but, uh, you know, in a true kind of British style, it's not been exactly what we were expecting. <laughs> <laughs> Your summers are probably like San Francisco summers. Not very good. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I heard, I saw a heat map of the U.S. recently where it was like 100, 100 and San Francisco was 62. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. SF summer is not so great. It's great in the spring, great in the fall. Mm -hmm. So working as you have with companies in a head of growth or head of UA role, those sorts of things, and then going transitioning to working with 10, 15, 20 companies, maybe at a time, what's that like? Well, whenever I was working full-time in-house for my last kind of three or four uh, companies, I had been doing a bunch of con coaching and consulting and freelancing on the side. And that was always something that I've been doing a lot of. So. And it was also something that kind of comes with the package. You know, you, you, I wouldn't have been able to work with a company unless I was also able to do that and had the freedom to do that. Because for me, you know, having those additional challenges on the side and being able to work on all of these different problems at the same time was really beneficial for my personal growth. 
And so transitioning um, over to having Aperture and working on this full time, I left my kind of last full time in-house company. I disappeared uh, off the face of the earth for a month. <laughs> and then I came back, um, you know, better and faster and stronger than ever, like ready to go ahead with Aperture. But it, it did feel very seamless and it did feel like kind of the only possible next step for me after after being at my last company so it, it was good it's been great i'm always so tempted to like take the month off or the three months off or something like that but i don't i don't i don't trust myself i'm not sure if i've ever come back so <laughs> that's why i haven't done that yeah okay so somebody comes to you they've got a new app they've got some budget they have big plans they want to grow what do you do where do you start well, if they're right at the beginning of their journey um, versus, you know, even a bit farther in, I've worked with companies at all kind of stages from being, you know, the second hire and a company's not even launched yet to joining uh, later or working with kind of larger uh, kind of commercial companies and so on, more corporate styles. Um, but really the very first thing that's important for us to pin down together is understanding our customer and understanding really what the problem is. Because a lot of the time we're doing this supply side thinking, you know, we're thinking about what we want and what we think is the problem and what is so important and what I spend a lot of time talking publicly and also with founders and with, with, with other people is just centering the customer and centering what their needs are as opposed to what you think their needs are. And that's something, you know, that is, this is just the bread and butter for every company. You know, it's not, it's not just for mobile apps. It's not just for, you know, a specific kind of subscription. You know, this is for every business. You should truly understand exactly what your customer wants and needs. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm very, this is my favorite topic, you know, so I'm happy to spend all day on this if you like. Nobody wants to do that, really, right? I mean, everybody wants, to, I got to build something. I got to make something. I have to market something. I have to buy a campaign. I have to, all that stuff. But this is, I, I'm talking for myself right here, just myself. I mean, this is the sort of thing that you just like, oh, <laughs> it's hard. It really is hard. And a lot of people are very resistant uh, to doing it as well, because it's really facing, it's really facing what the problem is head on and potentially, you know, you're potentially. Maybe I have the wrong solution. Think, <laughs> yeah. Maybe what I think isn't correct. You know, I don't want to have to face that. And what I do see time and time again is that it's the founders that are happy to get stuck in that are the ones that succeed. And I've worked with some founders who are, you know, I'm not going, I'm not going to join these customer conversations. You know, I don't want, to, and I always call these customer conversations, by the way, rather than user interviews, because user, you know, we user, it's obviously we can use this term sometimes internally, but we, we need to start thinking about them as customers. They're buying something from us. And then interview, you know, obviously you can have a really great interview, but what we want to do as well is just have a proper conversation and get to the bottom of who they are. You know, what are, there's uh, kind of this theory called the four forces. Uh, which I'm sure you're you're familiar with, but there's Tell me about the core you know, forces. I want to know these two demand generation forces, which are pushes and pulls. So, what's pushing you towards the solution, and how is the solution pulling you 
towards it. And then there are these two forces which are reducing demand, which are habit. So what am I already doing? And anxiety. What is my fear of? What is this product? And a lot of the time, companies focus a lot on the demand generation. You know, what? how are we pulling people in? How are we marketing ourselves? But they don't focus enough on what are those other two. And the customers inside all of these four forces, these, all of these anxieties trying to work out what's the best solution for them? Where are they? And they're experiencing all of these. I mean, we're people, right? Constantly experiencing emotions. So they're experiencing all of these forces and emotions at every point of their you know, customer journey. So from we feel being problem unaware to problem aware to, you know, they're actually now buying and now they're using it. They're, they're experiencing and thinking about these things the whole time. So for us, it's our job to understand how they're thinking and how they're feeling at these different stages of their life cycle. You've seen hundreds of apps and hundreds of businesses, and you said this is your favorite thing. So I want to ask you a question about it because I know that that in some of the startups that I've done, I, I'm, I'm somewhat resistant to that. Maybe somewhat is I'm being kind to myself, <laughs> you know, and I've seen that elsewhere in companies that I've advised and consulted with or that or that worked in. Mm-hmm. Speak to that person who wants to go do something, build something, create something and not spend their time on all this kind of squishy stuff that is hard and is not the way they typically think because they're a creator, they're a doer, they're a builder, not, you know, this philosopher and all this stuff. Speak to them of the apps that you've worked with, the ones that have been successful. Is there a correlation between their success and their willingness to do this upfront work? I would say absolutely there is, uh, unless somehow you are wise beyond kind of human (laughs) realms and you can predict all of these things you know i speak to a lot of companies for example and they and the, i ask them do you talk to your customers and the first thing they say is yeah i send out surveys all i send out a lot of surveys you know we do we do this we send out quarterly survey and don't get me wrong i think surveys are fantastic for some purposes but if you're trying to get to the bottom and to get to the real truth then you're not going to be able to get that in the survey so there's this really great book called the mom test uh, you might have heard of it. It's about 100 pages long, so you can read it very quick or get an audio book, you know, listen to it while you're on, uh, on a walk. Um, but the, the kind of theory behind this book is that everyone is kind of accidentally lying to you without them, you know, it's an accident. They don't realize. So, for example, I was working with one company. Uh, I'll tell you a story if that's all right. Is that okay? Cool. Yes. I, I was working with one company called Curio. And this is an audio journalism product. And I was working with them uh, five, six years ago. And whenever we started, they had a tagline, which was intelligent audio for busy people. This was on all of the ads, very kind of functional. Great. You know, it's audio journalism. You're listening to it. So great. And when I started to talk to people and talk to the customers, I was asking them, you know, how come you're using this product? And they would say, well, I'm really busy and I want to learn. And that makes sense, you know, intelligent audio for busy people. So then I would ask them, okay, if you're so busy, why do you want to learn so much, you know? And if you're so, if you're learning, why, like, you know, how have you ended up using this? And they say like, well, I'm commuting. And so I want to listen, you know, in case I'm standing up, I want to be walking. Like there was a huge kind of commuting use case here. And 
I want to feel like I'm using my time wisely. And I would say, why? But why is, why do you not want to just sit on the tube and pick your nose and play Candy Crush? You know, you could be doing, <laughs> could be doing anything. I've always wanted to do that. You know, easy. You know, the path of least resistance. And they would tell me then, but I want to understand the world better. Okay, so now we're getting somewhere. And so then I would say, why do you want to understand the world better? This is where the gold comes. And so then they would start to tell me stories about, you know, I, I uh, go around to my, my mom's house and she's married a new man and he's a professor and he's always talking about all this stuff and I have no idea what to talk to him about. So I always seem, I always feel like I'm not very clever. I want to seem more interesting. And again and again and again, this phrase, I want to seem more interesting would come out. And so this is the power of, you know, simply talking to your customers. And it's not like, like I pulled out this theme out of two conversations. It was, I spent, as soon as I joined that company, I spent the first three months with one of my main focuses on talking to customers. And so then we started experimenting around this messaging, like seem more interesting, you know, does this seem smarter? Does it seem interesting? Is it be interested? Is it, you know, and we tested out a lot of different messages and we ended up landing after hundreds of iterations on become the most interesting person in the room, which is a line of copy you might have seen around, like some of the biggest apps yes. in the industry now are using this same headline um, after we used it at Curio, um, because it's something that really taps into you know your ego. And it's something that again and again and again performed, not just in the UK and the US, but in every country that we tried it in, this was effective. And this is why now you'll see this line, um, which came out of a bunch of different conversations being used kind of all over the place because it's, it's just all, it's just effective. You know, it taps into something in turn in deep inside you. Love it. I absolutely love it. Who doesn't want to be interesting and have people interested in it makes a ton of sense. One of the things I took from what you huh? said was you're a recursive why person. <laughs> you keep asking why yeah. and you get an answer and you ask why. That, that can get you punched in the nose sometimes. You, it can, but you just need to do it in, with a smile. And also, I, did, I know I said why a few times there, but I actually try to keep away from the word why itself too. Uh, and so I usually would say something like, how come, you know, how come you ended up doing this? And this is because the word why actually upsets a lot of people uh, because deep down, uh, <laughs> they feel like they're a kid being told off, like, why did you do that? And this is something I spent a lot of time looking into as well, just to make sure I was able to have kind of the best and most effective conversation possible. Uh, and so I usually keep away from why, even though there's a theory called the five whys, you know, so all of your answers are five whys deep. Um, mm -hmm. It's still good to kind of use some different words instead of, you know, being that kid, which is fun as well. And you have to come at these things by building a sense of rapport with the person, I always say at the very beginning of any of these conversations, you know, get to know them a little bit first. Don't just jump in with kind of very extreme technical or personal questions. Share something about yourself if you can. You know, how are you relating to them and making them feel your your customers feel human and safe in this conversation? So, yeah. love it, love it. I'm glad we had a chat before we started recording. <laughs> yes, we built some rapport. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, that's awesome. So we're going to get to all the hardcore growth stuff. So for everybody who's listening and saying, okay, I got to ask why I got to talk to my users, got my customers, my, my subscribers, all that stuff. I, you know, we're going to get to the hardcore questions about, you know, what tech and, and how do I start campaigns and do I need an MMP right away and my metrics and all that stuff. 
But I, I got to dive just a little deeper here on this knowing your customer, knowing your user. Is this even the case? Let's say somebody says, you know, I'm building a game. You know, it's just about fun. That is common to 97.83% of humanity. I don't need to have these conversations. Are they right or are they wrong? I would say that it's still valid and relevant because with your game, someone is still trying to do something and trying to achieve something. And that might be just feeling dopamine hits, you know, that might just be feeling <laughs> again and again, I'm completing these levels. But that's why there are so many kind of tricks of the trade that work so well for games, you know. And I think a lot of the time we can learn a lot from how games are produced and how games operate, you know. Letting someone experience a win very quickly, like even though it's a very easy level, how can we transfer that learning to our apps and to our kind of other products as well? What are we doing to get people to that kind of, you know, activation threshold as quickly as possible? Because that's what games are mastering. And I see a lot of people going from games to out of games now or gambling to out of gambling because they've got so, so good at this. And now they know how to transfer and translate this knowledge across. I like those little hits of dopamine. We're all digital drug dealers, right? So. Absolutely. Okay, here we go. Let's dive in. Uh, okay, so you, that, that same person comes to you, this new app, some budget, big plans, right? They want to grow. You've gone through this process. They've identified, okay, this particular person, this segment, that's who we're aiming for. Here's their challenges. Here's their problems. Here's what we can solve. Here's what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to approach it. Okay, so now they want to actually grow and they're going to start investing some budget. Where do you kick off? Where do you start? So once we've understood our customers, the problems that we're solving, what are our levers as well? So what are the key areas that we can focus on? And usually these are going to be something aligned with acquisitions. So something like installs, something aligned with activation, something aligned with retention. So we want to be able to establish these and then figure out what's the first area that we want to impact really. And so for a lot of companies to begin with, that might be acquisition. And so we will think about how how does your product work? Like what are the kind of natural acquisition lanes that you have? And so a lot of the time it's a bit like sorting hat, you know, you don't get to choose your lanes, you know, they choose you in a way. And so if you're a kind of D2C subscription app, probably you're going to want to start with doing some advertising. But, you know, if you're a super social viral network effect product, then probably you don't need to do any advertising to begin with. What we're going to do is work out how we're getting people activated as quickly as possible and how we're making it as shareable as possible. And of course, we always need to bring in all of these elements into our product. It's just about if you're a small team, where do you focus first? And it's about how are we aligning everyone in the business around this main focus? So whether that is activation or you know, acquisition or retention or whichever awareness to begin with, I would normally probably not be starting with awareness for a very small product because we still want people to come through with my companies. We're spending 1% of our budget roughly on awareness um, ads. We're spending everything else on direct response because we need to get the people in. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to monetize. And so after we've decided our lanes, then we would start experimenting. So, you know, let's say we're going to go after a paid ads channel. This is where, you know, things start to get a little bit hairy. <laughs> And so what we want to do is go back to this kind of what are people trying to achieve and start testing our messaging. So we're, we're always going to have some hypotheses. We're going to have some 
rough theories about, you know, I think this message will resonate with these people. But also in this kind of post-May 20, 2021 world where we've got a bit less visibility, um, you know, we want to make sure that what we're doing and what we're bidding on is right. And so, yes, like if that's the route that we're going down and we're thinking that we want to have visibility on any of our ads, for example, then we should we should be implementing an MMP, a mobile measurement partner, uh, so that so that we can see that traffic, so that we can post it back and so that we can keep our app a little bit lighter so we don't have to keep bothering our developers about every new SDK that we want to add in. Uh, yeah. Uh, you want me to continue? <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I'm going to interject for half a moment um, because sure. what I love about what you said is you didn't start with, okay, we're going to buy ads on Meta, we're going to buy, we're going to invest in TikTok, we're going to go and do some programmatic and stuff like that. It reminds me of when I was chatting with Rory Sutherland, it's got to be a year ago or so, you know, famous, infamous um, Ogilvy uh, marketing guru, if we want to call it that way. Um, and he said, start at the bottom of the funnel. Start at the bottom of the funnel. What's happening there? What's happening there? Work your way back up. And you just follow that exact path. Exactly. And I, there's a lot of companies and some of the ones with the fastest growth that I've seen are ones that aren't caving to this. Sometimes if you see pressure to just turn the tap on, you know, turn the tap on and see what happens. It's companies that are, you know, maybe they're spending a little bit of money at the top of the funnel just to get a few people trickling through if they need to, but not spending a lot of time optimizing on it. But then seeing how are these people performing? You know, one company that I've been working with for the last year, we had started with some acquisition work. We were getting people in, it was performing. But what we were seeing was that our day 30, for example, was like 20%. So we knew that with, but with a free product, a free social product, we can increase this. So what we did was we spent then the next kind of three months focusing on retention. How are we increasing our day 30 retention? And by the end of that, we got up to 52% day 30 retention, which is very high. And then, <laughs> and then we moved to activation. So we were like, how can we make sure people are going to go do this action, these actions that we need them to do? And then we fixed this, you know, we, we did a really great job with that. And then we were in a good place to be able to turn on our paid ads properly and really start putting a lot of people through this funnel. And yeah, it's been going very well ever since with obviously as a free app as well, you can build in a lot of virtual currency, social viral features. So yeah. Yeah. I'm a, trillionaire in multiple, <laughs> I'm a trillionaire in multiple currencies that matter. <laughs> Not at all, but <laughs> I want to draw out something that I've heard now twice that you've said, and I want to highlight it because I think it's really important. Uh, I've worked in Silicon Valley. I spent three years commuting into San Francisco every other week. Uh, I've worked in startups or assisted or advised or consulted with startups for the better part of, I want to say a decade and a half, maybe two decades. And everybody wants instant. Everybody wants results now mm -hmm. or tomorrow or this week. And now three times, maybe twice, you've said, you know, I took three months. Right. And here you just said, I took three months to examine what was happening to users who were in the app and what they were doing and how, and, and you increased the, the retention there. And, and earlier you said you took three months largely talking to customers. 
And I just want to bring that out because, yeah, you know, you might have a threads story and go to 100 million users instantly, but there's more to that story because the engagement is, is dropping, obviously. And you might have like a Pokemon Go and you get a billion users, you know, and it just keeps going and going and going and going. But for most people, the real story, the actual story is slower and harder and more involved and more effort and more knowledge and processing. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a really strong insight for people who, who are super impatient like me <laughs> to, to, well, to, to have sink in. Yeah, there are 160,000 apps released every month. So there are always these anomalies like threads, you know, Pokemon Go, which have, of course, come from these giant companies where there's been a lot of kind of brand awareness, let's say, upfront. But with companies that are potentially category creating, I was having a call yesterday with someone who's doing a product, which is absolutely category creating. No one is doing this yet. You know, there isn't awareness for these solutions. You know, people are often, maybe they're problem unaware, but they're 100% solution unaware because there hasn't been a solution like this before. And so whenever you're exploring these areas, you need to understand the landscape. And actually with the companies where I've spent, you know, when I've been working internally with them and we've spent, you know, two, three months working on something, it's by that kind of time that the founder's like, why is nothing happening? And, but it's by that time that you've understood everything and then you can turn things on and then it works. And so I was working with one company, uh, which had been around for two years when I joined. Um, and whenever I joined, they were doing about seven action, like seven redemptions per week of this company, uh, seven uses per week, a year, a, a year and a half later, we were doing 7,000 per week, which is a fairly big increase. And this is the process, you know, you understand your customers, you understand how they operate, what is on their mind, what are they actually trying to achieve? You know, there's a theory called jobs to be done, uh, which is an amazing theory about just what are people actually trying to achieve. So like with the audio journalism company I mentioned before, you know, the jobs to be done functional are, you know, the, keeping my brain occupied while I'm commuting, like make my commute, make my commute a bit more entertaining. But an emotional job to be done is I want to seem more interesting. And we need to understand the landscape of our users' mindsets, uh, as well as the market and, and so on. Uh, the market is very, the market's very important too, but our customers and what they need is really the most important part for our business. And I just wonder that maybe for some of the people who are founders or early stage employees at smaller apps right now who are listening right now, maybe that can be your superpower. Maybe this can be your superpower. Do the work that others aren't willing to do. Do the work that others don't do, don't even know to do. Do that work before you spend the 500000 that you raised in seed funding or the $7 million you got in, you know, Series A or something like that. And do that work and, and, and get that kind of growth after you've slogged for some time. Okay, let's talk a little bit about metrics. Uh, what are the metrics that tell you something's working here? That, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, the kind of main metric is how many people are purchasing my product. So that everything kind of starts from there. What's the lifetime value of someone that's coming in? And so, you know, I've had lots of discussions, especially with developers and data people around, you know, at one company I worked, we were running a lot of experiments and they were saying every experiment should be 
measured the success of based on lifetime value. And it's like, you can't necessarily, maybe in an estimated lifetime value, but you can't necessarily look at that when it's a week-long experiment, for example. And so ultimately, lifetime value is, and lifetime value over kind of customer acquisition cost is key. But also what we want to do is look at kind of our North Star metrics. So for the majority of subscription app businesses, I have a handy little formula that everyone can jot down, but it's for a subscription app business, for example, we want to have a cadence, then an action, and then a revenue associated metric. And so this looks like something, this looks something like weekly, weekly listening subscribers, weekly playing subscribers, monthly, you know, monthly journaling subscribers, you know, or purchasers or, and so on. And this helps, you know, represent you as a business and your needs. So that has the subscriber side. And then you also are representing the customer. So they are coming back. They are, they are, you know, getting value from using your product. That's why they keep returning. And a lot of the time I've worked with companies and they've said, you know, subscribers is our North Star metric. And, you know, subscribers at all costs means that within those companies, they spend 90% of their time optimizing the first two minutes of the product. Because, you know, 80 to 90% of trials come out within the first two minutes of someone downloading your app. Um, and then the rest come up, come, come later and they long tail out over, you know, forever. But the majority of these will come from the first two minutes of someone downloading your app and signing up. And time and time again, I've seen companies who are, you know, revenue subscribers at all costs, just spending time on there and getting, you know, getting great numbers of trials through. But then everyone's just churning out, you know, people aren't mm-hmm. renewing, you know, people aren't sticking around because the product itself hasn't been worked on because they've just been, you know, I'm spending money on ads. So I need to get subscribers to pay for my ads, to get more subscribers, to pay for my ads. And they forget about everything else, which is how are the customers feeling and how are they being retained? Like, how are, how are they receiving value from you? It's so interesting because if you take that insight and you bring it back to the very beginning of our conversation, who am I serving? What are their needs? What do they want? What do they are trying to avoid? All that stuff. If you get that right, then you're more likely to get this end part right as well and optimize your product and your product experience and your user experience rather than like your job, your goal in life is not to be the best at getting people through a funnel. I mean, that would suck. That would really suck. I mean, hey, you'd make a lot of money probably, but (laughs) would you really be fulfilled? You know, I make the best funnels. Okay. Maybe some people that's their, that's their gig, but maybe you want to make somebody's life better. Maybe you want to make them have a little bit of fun. Maybe you want to you know, help somebody create better habits or be the most interesting person in the room or something like that. Those are things that you can build a brand around. Those are things that you can build a team around. Those are things that people can sign up for as a mission to join your company and maybe stay with your company because it's meaningful. It has something to it. So if people get that first part right, they're more likely this part right. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about... When you start knowing that the snowball is rolling downhill, you've talked a couple of times about, I took three months to do this. I took three months to do that. You know, we're doing seven activations a month and now it's 7,000. When do you know that the snowball, which is just sitting there and then maybe moving a tiny little bits in the, in the beginning is actually starting to go downhill? 
we look at the numbers. So you can't grow what you don't measure, you know. So we track everything. As I can't I grow by accident. You can, <laughs> you can, but you don't know, you know. Um, and so what I would say is obviously we've got our North Star metric. We also have these three little things called key drivers usually. So these are kind of the the metrics I was referring to before around kind of usually acquisition, activation, retention, but there's usually a real kind of solid metric associated with them. So once we start to see that these metrics are reaching our targets, then and we can move to another metric or lever to impact. And then, you know, and then hopefully, you know, we've we started right at the bottom, we're moving up to the top of the funnel. Once we start seeing that we can put money in and we can start getting that sweet, sweet money back. And it's time to turn that tap on, you know. So with some of the companies I've been working with, it has taken, you know, six months or so to get them to be able to reach kind of day zero payback with their monetization. But we say to everyone at the beginning, and and most people know, for example, with performance, you're not going to day you're not going to get <laughs> you're not going to get a positive ROAS on day one straight away. It takes a bit of time, it takes learning, it takes experimentation. And so I'll say the time at which we know that the snowball's going is when we hear people talking about it, when we don't understand where the people are coming from as well. <laughs> um, I ran one campaign, which we can talk about later, um, last year, where, which went viral five times. And it ran for two weeks. And by the end of the two weeks, I was walking down a street and I heard someone cycling past talking about the campaign. And I was like, this is, this is success. Wow. <laughs> Wow. That's awesome. Let's transition that because this has been great. I could chat for another half an hour. We have limited time. It's late for you. And there's other things on my calendar. I mean, as much as I'd like to spend all, all day here, can't do it. But um, might have to have you back. There's so much more we can chat about. I wanted to end with just a couple of more lighthearted things. Um, one campaign that totally blew it out of the water absolutely went nuts um completely rocked and and you already hinted that we'll hear more hopefully and then one campaign that you thought would be so awesome but completely cratered uh, go for it absolutely so the one that blew us all the way was last year with a company called uptime we launched this campaign called quit social media and it was a campaign around a study uh to get people to quit social media for two months and we would pay them £2,000 to quit social media for two months. And so wow. we promoted this and uh, sent it out as a PR story. We were accepting one person. And so we sent this out, you know, it got picked up by all of the kind of British national press. Great. We thought, you know, we'll get a couple thousand applicants. <laughs> That'll be enough. You know, it will give us some backlinks. So then I had some, an amazing uh, lady on my team. We scripted out a video for her. She read it. We posted it on TikTok. We put about 10 pounds behind it, very minor amount. And this was a couple of days in. And we had a kind of Google form, I think, that people were submitting. And, you know, by this point, we had a couple thousand applicants. I was like, sweet, we've hit our goals. So we boosted this post. And just as I was about to go to bed, I decided to check the applicants and all of a sudden there was about 50,000 applicants and I was like huh like Scooby-Doo what and I you know I immediately added a question which was how did you hear about this 
you know, so that we could try and understand. And we started to get people coming in and saying, you know, this campaign has caused a controversy in my country. What's that? And we started seeing like Twitter accounts with like millions of followers were posting about it. It was on Sky News Arabia. It was like on Newsweek. Anyway, an, an Instagram page called Puberty posted about it as well, which have 20, maybe they've got 30 million followers, quite a few followers. We ended the campaign anyway with a quarter of a million, 250,000-ish applications to take part in this study. And we spent about two, well, the cost of the study, so two grand, and then a hundred pounds or so on boosting because uh, we did a small boost on TikTok, a small boost on Facebook, and a small boost on Instagram. Uh, it, it was to the extent that with a company called Uptime, uh, it was Uptime.app. There was another company called Uptime.com. Uptime.com were writing to us saying, we're getting, we're getting hundreds, we're getting thousands of support tickets asking how to apply. And um, how do we, you know, we don't know what to do. And we were like, well, we, we didn't tell them to go. We can't really do anything about that. Uh, and then on one of the last days of the campaign, someone was cycling past me uh, talking about, did you hear about this campaign? You can get paid £2,000 to quit social media. And I was like, this is so funny, you know. It just started out as something small and it, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And actually, we then managed to trend working very closely with the product team the whole time, you know, it's very important to keep aligned there. We were able to build out specific flows in the app. We would build collections around social media. We sent offers to people who were who were applying. You know, we got tens of thousands of downloads and subscriptions and so on from this campaign as well. So they really transferred from what was, you know, I hope we get a few backlinks to this is a substantial, you know, marker on on the company overall uh, from from a very kind of silly, silly small, like expectedly small campaign. So that one, that one, I'd say, <laughs> really blew up. Um, amazing, amazing, amazing! Uh, it's so incredible when something that you do becomes part of the zeitgeist, becomes big like that. Um, and it's it, it 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 probably only happens a few times in most people's careers. Mm -hmm. So we love chatting about. Our children that grow up to be millionaire models, sports heroes, titans of industry, uh, all this stuff. Have you had any redheaded stepchild? Well, you'll know that every person in growth's whole career is built on things not working, really. So that's the first thing to know. I'm constantly running. I mean, with one of my companies on my own, I ran over 100 experiments in one year by myself without thinking about all of the other people in there and all the experiments that they were doing and within that we had about 45-ish percent of them were successful which means that more than half of them weren't successful but that's still a great that's still a great success rate for an experiment and you know one thing that I, I actually sent out an email to the company about this and said you know 55 percent of these were failures and someone replied to me uh, this is about five years ago and it changed my mindset a little bit saying you know none of these were failures you, because we learned something from all of them. So they weren't failures. Your hypothesis was just not right. And mm -hmm. that really helped me kind of reframe things. So, you know, even when things aren't completely right, you know, that's fine. We learned from it. And so we did recently 
That's what you tell the CFO when you spend a million dollars on an ad campaign and it gets you nothing. We learned a lot from this. <laughs> but you know what? If you do accidentally spend a million dollars or you accidentally send out an email to 100,000 people, like what do you learn from that? I remember one company, uh, a CRM person accidentally sent out push notification to the entire user base that just said dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Could have been dot, worse. Dot. Could have been worse. Could have said something nasty. This was the best open push notification that was ever sent. <laughs> and wow. so, you know, people, you know, we learned like people probably people clicked on this because they had no idea what was going on. They were like, I'm intrigued. And so we had our most kind of active user day ever <laughs> and things like that. But I'd say, you know, a, a recent one was we spent with one of our companies, uh, we had tried out something with one kind of famous influencer for one product that the company has. And we were like, cool, it's working with this one product, so it will work with the other products. So we then sprung for, you know, an expensive deal with this creator for the other product. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, we learned that we learned, you know, align the, this creator with this product, not this one. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, you know, everything's an experiment. So as long as you're kind of learning from it, I think, and you're owning it, that's very important. Taking ownership of these things too and saying, this is why something worked or why something didn't work uh, and documenting it, then, you know, <laughs> I think it's all good. I I 100% agree. And, and we can joke about it. And I've joked about it a little bit here, obviously. But realistically, the biggest failure is always being so scared to try something that you don't do anything or you don't try enough. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? That one campaign years that blew up, it was probably one of 50 or one of 100 or something like that. 99 didn't blow up. Mm -hmm. But if you stopped at 98... And you didn't do the 99th or the 100th, you wouldn't have had the massive success. You can't really account for virality. Sometimes you just have an ad that just beats everything else for a year. I've heard about that. That's your that's your hero. That's your champion ad. And you can't beat it for a year. And you, you get really pissed off about that. But you should also be happy about it because you made something great. And sometimes you do 50 campaigns that don't work, but you keep trying. And somehow the magic pixie dust of the internet just spreads on it and good things happen. Absolutely. You need to just keep to the process. You know, there's a process there for a reason, like around experimentation, around validation. And it's so important to just keep to that process because once you do, and that's your muscle memory, then that's where you find the gold. You know, if you want to be chipping away at that block, trying to find your David underneath, because it, it is there. You just need to keep on trying. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love it. Hannah, this has been such a fun uh, 40 minutes, longer than I anticipated. Sorry for keeping you longer. I've really enjoyed it. I think I've learned a ton. Um, really impressed. Thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. And thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. 